Welcome to our spiritual gifts class through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session five called the Manifestation Gifts Part One. In the last several weeks, we've talked about the foundation of spiritual gifts, the source of spiritual gifts, the substance of spiritual gifts, and then of course last session was the ministry gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. Now categorically, we're going through the gifts in the Bible uh, this way, the ministry gifts in Ephesians 4, and then these next three weeks, we'll go through the manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And following that, we'll talk about the motivational gifts that you find in Romans chapter 12. And what's important is that we realize when we're going through these, it's, we wouldn't be able to cover all nine in 1 Corinthians 12 in just one week. And so we have to kind of spread it out. So I'll do three gifts. There's nine total. I'll do three gifts per week. And today we're going to be focusing on the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the gift of prophecy. We'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll go verse 1 through 11. And it says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another uh, faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing or discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Now, we've already discussed a little bit of context in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but just by way of review, I think it's important that we set this up the right way. So I want to give you some context about Corinth and Corinthians. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing uh, to, the, to the Christians that are in Corinth. He had previously been with them for about a year and a half. Paul planted the church, we believe. He'd been with them for about a year and a half. And we presumably see him to be away from the church for about four to five years. So these believers that he's writing to, they were about seven to eight-year-old Christians. They have known the Lord for about uh, that long. And Paul's writing to them based on two things. Number one, a letter that they had written to him. There were questions in there and other things. We don't have the letter that they wrote to him, but we know he's responding to some letter that we don't have. And number two, he's heard about things that were going on in the church that he believed he, that he needed to address as an apostolic father. And what's important is that we realize that this letter is primarily remedial or correctional. He's bringing up a lot of very negative things that they have going on in the church, things like sexual immorality, abuse of spiritual gifts, which we'll talk about, division and pride, and these kinds of things. In fact, he gets to the point where he says things to them like, when you gather together, you do more harm than good. And I don't think that would be something that any church would want to hear, but this is something that he says to them. He also says to them that I wanted to speak to you as a mature man. I wanted to talk to you in maturity, but I couldn't and I had to basically give you milk and not meat. And I think it's important to know that he had expectations for this church to be farther than they were. And so he's partly talking through some of that uh, with them. And the Corinthian church did not lack spiritual gifts. He didn't want them to be ignorant of the gifts, but they didn't lack spiritual gifts. They were definitely functioning in, in, in those gifts, but they were not functioning the right way, as we discussed when we talked about the substance of spiritual gifts being love. And so he's bringing them back to the purpose 
of spiritual gifts, to the substance. And in this, uh, in this particular lesson, we want to focus on the gifts themselves because he comes to a place where although he tells them that they've been selfish and unfruitful and unhelpful in their function, he doesn't tell them to stop doing what they're doing in terms of exercising spiritual gifts and whatnot. He actually kind of realigns them. He wants to reboot their understanding and their function of, of how they're ministering those gifts. Because we've all probably seen some kind of abuse or misuse. And nobody's attracted to that. It's, it's like somebody getting on the drum and just hitting the cymbal and, the cl and clanging that thing until somebody basically just says stop. That's all we really want them to do. We just want them to stop. And Paul's saying that's what spiritual gifts are like without love. So let me help you understand what empowered, spirit-filled love looks like as he starts to define and describe uh, the gifts that we're studying uh, today. And so we're going to go through each gift because it's, it's important that we do that. We'll do some definition and description, talk about where some of this is found in Scripture. And so before I do that, I want to give you some principles of manifestation gifts because all of these different categories of gifts are different. And uh, one, the first principle I want to bring up, which is right here in the passage that we've read, is manifestation gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, he says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He says, Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He calls spiritual gifts manifestations. These are like expressions. They're evidence of the Holy Spirit. When we see spiritual gifts among us, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is with us. These gifts are of the Spirit. They're His possessions. They're not our possessions. And it's important to get that. They're expressions of the Spirit. They're not possessions of ours. These nine gifts are not, like, you don't just have the, the gift of the word of wisdom or the gift of prophecy or the gift of this or the gift of that. We possess, the, we have the Holy Spirit and not just the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he distributes these gifts as he wills. They're an expression of him and his ministry among us. These are not our possession. They're not residential. The motivational gifts in Romans 12, those are resident gifts. Those are gifts that God has given to us. In a sense, they're past tense. We have them. Everybody has one gift. Same with Ephesians 4. Those are gifts that Jesus has given as he ascended on high. He gave gifts to men. That's a past tense term. He gave these gifts for the government of his church. And he decided who would have what. In these gifts, it says the Holy Spirit distributes as he wills, as we gather, as the need arises. They're situationally given. If you'll remember back in Foundations of Spiritual Gifts, some gifts are situationally given, and we believe the manifestation gifts are that way. And we need to understand all of these gifts because we might be more trained in one of them than the other, which m might make us feel that that's the gift that we have. But you can be trained in all nine, and these are accessible to you as a spirit-filled Christian. So they're not our possession, they're His expression. These gifts are for us to partner with the Holy Spirit to minister to the needs that are right in front of us. The, the second principle I want to share with you is manifestation gifts benefit the whole church. In verse 7, he also says, as I've read, the, the gifts are given, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, for the common good, for other people. So he gives a gift to us so that it would move through us. The gift is not for us, it's actually meant to go through us. And we need to remember that because sometimes you'll hear these myths like, well, if you really had the gift of healing, then why would you be sick? Well, it's really a simple answer. 
I, if I receive the gift of healing through the Holy Spirit, it's for the common good. It's not just so that I apply it to myself. Now, we want to be healed ourselves, amen. But the reality is, is that God gives gifts to us so that we can give them away to other people. And that's a principle that we find here. The gifts are given for the common good. And that's a very clear thing that we see. These gifts are profitable to all, not just some. As we grow together as the body of Christ, the common good means everybody. God wants to give his gifts to all of his kids, and he wants all of his kids to give those gifts to everybody else. And so that as we come, we're contributors to the body of Christ, one to another, and we see God through us minister to all the needs of the church. It's so valuable, so vital and important that we get manifestation gifts benefit the entire church. They're not meant to pump, pump, uh, puff ourselves up so that we get noticed, so that we look spiritual. They're actually meant that we would humbly give them away to the people that are in front of us. The third principle is manifestation gifts address the needs of the whole church. As we come together, it says in verse 11, one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on. He knows everybody's heart. He knows everybody's situation. And as we come together, whether it's three of us or whether it's 1,300 of us, it doesn't really matter. The Holy Spirit knows absolutely everything. And he knows who to give what to, to minister to another person. And that's where we have to have a certain kind of expectation when we come together, even if it's just meeting someone for coffee, that God wants to download stuff into our spirit so that we would be carriers of his grace and his goodness and give those things away to the other people that are around us. It's vital that we understand that the needs that we have in the body of Christ can be addressed by the people in the body of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He individually uh, distributes these things as he wills. And what an amazing thing as we not only trust the Holy Spirit, but we expect the Holy Spirit to do what the Word of God says. And we need to come with great expectation to be used by him to bring a supply, a need, to, to meet the need of uh, other people. Now, just a kind of uh, illustration, I was at a church one time and I was preaching on the gift of prophecy and there was a guy at the end where we had a Q&A time and he lifted up his hand when he had, he had a question. And I remember he asked the question, because I was teaching on prophecy, he said, do you think that prophecy is the greatest gift in the Bible? And it was sort of a, a thing that he, he was thinking that I was saying, but really I was only teaching on prophecy because his pastor asked me to teach on prophecy. So there was that. But otherwise, he was kind of thinking that I was overemphasizing prophecy just because I was teaching it. But I said to him, no, I don't think prophecy is the greatest gift per se, but I do think the greatest gift is the gift that's needed in the moment that you're in. And situationally speaking, when we find ourselves in a moment that a gift is needed, we call on the Holy Spirit to bring what is needed into that moment so where He supplies to that very need. And we can trust and expect that that is exactly what He will do. He, he distributes to each one individually as He wills. And His will is to touch people, it's to bless people, it's to meet the needs of people. And if you need a hammer and you have a screwdriver, the best screwdriver in the world isn't going to do what a hammer would do. And the Holy Spirit knows that. He knows what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and through whom to do it. And we can certainly expect Him to do great and mighty things as we gather together. So we want to set our expectation that the Holy Spirit will meet the needs of the church. And number four, the manifestation gifts are available to the whole church. In verse 14 it says, For the body is not one member, but many. And so here we have like the, all of these gifts will work together to minister to the whole body. 
because these are available, as I've said before, to the whole church. In verse 7, Paul says, to each one is given. In verse 11, it says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one as he wills. In other words, we don't know exactly what he's going to give and to whom he's going to give it, but we can fully expect that it might be any of these one gifts at any, at any specific time that he chooses. We just want to put ourselves out there and discern the situation as much as we can and really ask him. This is something that I do is put gifts into my hands to give away to people. What if before we entered into any meeting that we were going to, whether it was in the workplace, the marketplace, or, or the gathering place, we said, put gifts, Lord, would you put gifts in my hands to give away to people? And that's just a prayer that you can pray and that you're always expecting the Holy Spirit to give you something for other people. And, that, that, and by that, you become a carrier of his glory and his grace for the purpose of other people being strengthened and blessed. I believe that's the position that God takes with us, and He wants His kids to be raised up in that very same kind of DNA. So we see that manifestation gifts are available to the whole church, but you have to believe that because you practice what you believe. If you believe that you can only do some of these or you can only minister in some of these gifts, then your mind will limit you to that very thing. What if the Holy Spirit wants to expand whatever it is that you think you have or whatever you think you know? And so we need to get training on all of these different gifts, which is what we're going to be doing in our next several sessions, because we want to be ready for the moment that we step into. So we see these principles right here in this passage that are very, very important. Now I want to go through the gifts themselves, and we're going to start with the word of knowledge first. And let me give you a definition of the word of knowledge, just sort of a basic definition uh, that we will function with. It's, and this is, this, is what, um, this is what it means. The, the word of knowledge is a specific message with factual information about someone or something that is given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. The word of knowledge is a specific message with factual information about someone or something that is given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. It's important that we realize it's not the gift of knowledge. It's not the gift of somebody being smart. It, it says specifically here in the Bible, it's the word of knowledge, which means special message of knowledge. Now, knowledge speaks of facts things that are true, things that were true. So when a word of knowledge is given, we're thinking about something that is true today, not future, but is true today, and it was true in the past. So past and present. A message that God will supernaturally give a person where they didn't know something prior about a person or a situation, the past or the present of that situation or person. Other translations, again, say message of knowledge, which is why I get the language that I do. Now, we we see the word of, uh, word of knowledge in, in, in a functional way in a couple different places. Um, the first way, place that we see it is John chapter 1, verse 43 through 51. This is where Jesus essentially is talking with some of his uh, disciples, and he has a word of knowledge. I'll just read it. It says this in John 1, 43. The next day, he, Jesus, purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida and the city, uh, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in him there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. 
And here we have, this is a word of knowledge. It was a word of knowledge that was received by a vision. Jesus indicates that. But Jesus wasn't around him. He didn't see him uh, physically. He saw him spiritually. And so sometimes a word of knowledge can come through a vision or it can come through a sense or it can come through just a, a, a phrase that the Holy Spirit can give you. We'll talk about that uh, when we look at prophecy. But that's one of the places where we see a word of knowledge. Another place is John chapter 4. Um, this is where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And this is what it says in verse 15. The woman says to Jesus, Sir, give me this water, because he was talking to her about um, uh, water that will spring up into eternal life, that she'll never be thirsty again. She says, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty, uh, nor come all the way out here to draw. And he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And Jesus says, yes, I'm more than a prophet. He reveals who he is to her. What's fascinating about this is that Jesus speaks of her past. And he brings up the fact that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with right now is not her husband. So the past and the present. And she says, you're a prophet. That was her perception because she hadn't, they hadn't seen anything like this since the time of Elisha or even heard about it for that matter. This kind of supernatural knowledge. And it's amazing when she shares the, the testimony about Jesus having this word of knowledge, she said, here's a man who told me everything that I ever did or ever was, which isn't true. He just told her one fact about her life or two facts about her life. And she felt in that experience, which often you will when a word of knowledge is shared, you'll feel like somebody knows absolutely everything, even though they only share one fact. And so we see this word of knowledge. There's a couple other places in the Bible, like Acts 5.1 and some other places where we see the word of knowledge function. But let me tell you what the function of the word of knowledge really does or what it's for. And the first function of the word of knowledge is that it brings healing. God will reveal something in order to heal something. And this is vital. Like sometimes God will give a word of knowledge about a body part or something. Maybe we're in a room, we're in a church meeting, and he'll speak about somebody's ankle or an injury that somebody had previously. And the only reason that God would bring that up is so that we could pray for that person and see them healed. So I believe that when God gives a word of knowledge about somebody's condition, whether for a healing issue, it's because he's going to bring healing. So what you'll find is a lot of manifestation gifts, they dovetail into each other. Word of knowledge comes so that a prophecy might be given. God reveals the past and the present supernaturally, not just to give factual information because that person, let's say I get a word of knowledge about your name and I say, your name is Thomas. And you go, yeah, you're right. How did you know that? And I say, well, the Lord showed me. Well, that person already knew their name, so I haven't necessarily benefited them other than to say that I've I've shared something that God alone would have known because I didn't know that. So God shared that with me and it builds faith. So that's a good thing. But why else would he, God bring it up? Because there's more to it. God is highlighting someone because he wants to prophesy, he wants to heal or whatever. And so he'll give physical words or words about physical issues. And sometimes the Lord will give physical pains. It will happen. I've had it happen several times where I'll have a pain in my neck or a pain in my back or my legs. It's a very specific location. And I'll say when I'm in a church meeting or a, a small group, hey, does anybody have a pain in their shoulder? And somebody say, yeah, is it the right shoulder? Yes, it is. And really to activate that, you just actually have to ask God to give you those things and then step out when he does and you'll see him start to move that way. 
It's amazing how that happens. So the first thing that word of knowledge will, will be for is to bring about healing. The second is deliverance. God may reveal an emotional wound um, or an event of a person's past because he wants to bring a deliverance in that area. Maybe that person's been living out of that wound and there's a bookmark in the story of their life and the Lord wants to pull that bookmark out so that they can be free and move forward and they haven't really been able to do that. So God brings deliverance through the word of knowledge. This is again one of the reasons why we want the word of knowledge to flow and function in the church and in our lives more. We see we can facilitate deliverance from unforgiveness and bitterness, past wounds and emotional trauma, things that have come as a result of living life or even, quite frankly, it could be from our own sin and things that we've had, we've got caught up in over the years and the Lord will bring deliverance. The third thing, the functionality of the word of knowledge is to bring correction. Correction means to set something right, to make an adjustment, to bring a rebuke. And not all the time, but sometimes a word of knowledge can reveal the past or the present so that God can get right to the core of what somebody is maybe rebelliously functioning in or walking in. And God wants to just separate them from that thing and bring correction, alignment, so that a person could just walk without that. You know, there are times where a word of knowledge and whatever flows out of that, maybe a word of wisdom dovetails into it, it can spare somebody a year of foolishness. And I thank God for his correction and his gifts, the gifts of the Spirit that sometimes can prompt these corrections from the Lord, whether it be from the Word or the Spirit. But it's so vital because correction is so for us when we receive it the right way. It'll save us years or months of foolishness that we don't have to cater to or live by. And the fourth and final function of the word of knowledge is prophetic. A uh, word of knowledge often cues up uh, a situation for a prophetic word. If I were to get a word of knowledge about your past, that's great, but the Lord wants to speak into your future. Like maybe I were to call out, if I knew something by the Spirit about your past that wasn't that wasn't great about your life, that's not what God is saying. That's what God is showing. But what God is saying is prophetic. He wants to speak the truth. If it was, let's say it was an immoral bondage, like, and I knew, like this, like Jesus knew about this woman, you've had five husbands. Well, that's not what God's prophetically saying over her. He's just, he's, he, God showed, the Father showed that to Jesus because that was true. But what would he be saying? He's saying, I can give you water to drink where you're never going to be thirsty for all of this immorality stuff. See, she was, that, he was speaking to her soul about what she was thirsty for was all this stuff that she's involved in. And it's just, she's drinking it and she's running dry. But he's saying, I'll give you water to drink where you'll never be thirsty for all this other stuff again. See, that's the prophecy. He's speaking about something greater and exchange this for that. And the prophetic comes after the word of knowledge shows, what the word of knowledge shows, the prophetic speaks a new and better word on top of. They dovetail together. And so word of knowledge can cue up a prophetic word and we want to be looking for that. So if the Lord gives you a word of knowledge, you want to have a second question to the Lord. Okay, Lord, I see that. I hear that. Now what else, Lord? Because I believe you want to do something as a result of me now having this information. He's not just giving information supernaturally just to give it. He wants to minister to that person. And thank God that he works, uh, he works together with all of these other things. The second gift we want to talk about is the word of wisdom. 
and give you a definition here. The word of wisdom is a specific message that provides a wise strategy or practical application for a specific circumstance. Wisdom speaks of the application of knowledge and typically refers to the present, which would be connected to an ongoing strategy for the future that would bring a fruitfulness. And we see Proverbs chapter 25 verse 11 is a great verse when talking about wisdom. And I believe even could apply this to word of wisdom. It says this, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. It's like the right word at the right time brings the right results. That's what a word of wisdom is. A word of wisdom is, is an apple of gold in settings of silver. In Solomon's time, when Proverbs were written, silver was very common. So common, a common circumstance or a common scenario, but gold was very precious. Apples of gold in settings of silver. The word of wisdom will come, this, this purity, this beauty, this value will come in, in all kinds of circumstances of life where God will present it through human vessels, through vessels of silver, so to speak. And so it's the right word at the right time for the right person that will bring the right results. The word of wisdom, a strategy that we need. We see a lot of references in the Bible to words of wisdom. And they're not actually said this is a word of wisdom, but we can see that there was a, a real word given at that time that was very spirit, uh, very spirit given, very spirit led. And one of them is from the Old Testament actually. It's interesting. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13. And you have this, um, you have this scenario where uh, this is what it says in verse 13. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So when he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now I've left out the context. The context is there's a man named Naaman, and he's, and he's a leper, and he lives in another city. And there's a servant girl who tells him to go to where Elisha the prophet is. And so he goes to find Elisha the prophet, and he basically presents himself. And he's told through Elisha the prophet that he needs to go uh, dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And he gets offended by that because the Jordan River is very dirty and he's like I'm not going to do that and so he kind of goes off really mad and what happens is is that one of his servants that he's going that he's literally coming there and leaving with uh, one of Naaman's servants says to him I mean you came all the way out here even if, if he would have told you to do anything else would you not do it if it would bring about your healing he gave him this word he was offended at the context and the content of the word, but there was somebody that was right alongside him that said, wait a minute, if you do this, what if this is the thing that brings about your healing? He gave him this wisdom when he needed it the most. It was the right word at the right time because he wasn't thinking in the right frame of mind. And so we find that to be pretty much like a word of wisdom. And we have some other places like Acts chapter six and some other uh, places where we see that to be the case. I can remember personally where I was driving home one day and we had a situation with our family and I'd been talking with my wife about it. And uh, I'm just driving down the road and I remember this like kind of scenario played out in my mind. It was just a bunch of thoughts and I was thinking and in, inserted into my thoughts was this wise strategy about what to do in the situation that my family was going through. And I immediately called my wife and I told her what had just come into my mind. And at, the mo at that moment, I didn't know it was a word of knowledge, but as I'm sharing it with her, I just knew that this was strategy, wisdom from the Lord. And he gave me a word of knowledge. And now I ask for words of knowledge, whether it's with 
church or it's with business or it's with family or with life, you can ask the Lord for a word of knowledge, a wise strategy that will bring about his best and fruitfulness for your scenario, for your life, for your family. We want to ask God to move in words of wisdom. People come to church and uh, regardless of what position that you play, you might be sitting next to somebody that is literally crying out to God for what they need to do. People are always wondering about direction for their life. What am I supposed to do? It's one of the number one questions that I get asked. What if we were just equipped with the word of knowledge, asking God always, Lord, would you speak to me directional things or would you speak to me like pivotal, uh, pivotal scenarios and strategies for people that I'm going to meet today? I bet you that the church would just be lit and on fire with what God is calling them to do. Direction would be more in their grasp rather than sort of a, this undiscernible future that many find themselves in. The function of the word of knowledge is threefold, I find, and the first is obviously strategic. We need strategy and we need God to give us strategy for the future and, and what it is that we put our, put our hand to in the moment that we're in. Secondarily, it's insightful. There are a lot of times we can't see clearly um, with the stuff that's going on in our life. Emotionally, we get very cloudy and things become very dim and we need God to help us to have insight into situations or insight um, into hearts and minds. I remember a time with my son where this applies very much and uh, my son was kind of disobeying us in one way or another and I was, I was really upset about it because obviously we've told him not to do this or behave this way. And I'm walking up the stairs and, and I go into my bedroom. I'm about to go meet with my son and, and really discipline him. And I'm contemplating like what I need to do and what's going on. And I'm really upset as to why he's acting the way he is because we've been t teaching him differently and talking to him about this for a long, long time. And he just knows better. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, ask him what's been going on with his friends. And it was just like a, a word of knowledge and, or a word of wisdom right out of the blue. Like, this is what you need to do. You need to ask him what's been going on with his friends. And there was an insight that was given in that, not only of what to do, but of what was possible as to why he was acting the way he was. So I walked into my son's room and I asked him, I said, son, what's been going on with your friends? And he opens up his heart and begins to talk to me about how he was being made fun of and all, th all these kinds of things that I didn't even know about. But I learned an insight that day through the word of wisdom. And that is, is that if you just approach things in the natural, you're never going to know some of the stuff that really is happening in the hearts and the minds of people all around you, including your own family. And I, one of my mentors even says, like, I don't know how people literally live without the gifts of the Spirit. Well, we do know how they, how they live without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not well. That's how we live without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Think about how that changed that scenario. And we give credit to the Holy Spirit for that. Another function of the word of wisdom is, is, is timeliness. He gives the right word at the right time. Often we, we want God to do things sooner or we wait too long for, for things that we need in advance. But the Lord, is give, he, he, he brings things at the right time and we need him to do that. We thank God for that. And so we thank him for his timeliness. And that's what word of, a word of wisdom can do. Sometimes I hear about strategies given like the day before or the moment in or right in the midst of where things are actually needed. That's where I find words of wisdom to come quite often. Now, the third and final gift we want to focus on is the gift of prophecy. And the definition that I have here for prophecy is prophecy is to hear from God for a person or a people and to speak what God is saying. 
to foretell the present priorities of God or to foretell, which is to say something before it happens. Prophecy is, is twofold. It's to foretell the present priorities of God, what God is doing now, what God is saying now. But it's also to foretell. It's to speak about things before they happen. And you see for, foretelling in the Bible quite a bit in the Old Testament. You see a little bit in the New Testament. But foretelling is the common experience of prophecy. It's the more common among the, those that are prophesying regularly. It's to speak the present priorities of God. A prophet will prophesy... But not everyone who prophesies is a prophet. And this is important to understand. There's a gift called the prophet, and that is a governmental gift that's given to the church to function in and among the church as a mentor, helping people to understand the voice of the Lord and, and to equip them for prophesying. That's a prophet. And then there's a prophetic uh, motivational residential gift that some have. And then this is a manifestational gift of prophecy that everybody can function in. It's very important. So the gift of prophet, not everybody has. The gift of the prophetic gift, not everybody has. And the gift of prophecy, we can all function in and on that level of at least forth, forth telling. And so we'll find that to be um, the case. Prophecy is a supernatural revelation from God about another person or a situation, but it must be spoken. Prophecy indicates spoken, not just received revelation, that's important that we receive revelation. That's one element of prophecy. But it's not prophecy until it's actually spoken. It must come out of our mouths before it to be the actual gift. Um, there are three primary ways that you'll receive a prophetic word for someone or for something. And that's hear, feel, and see. We hear internally or an external voice. Most of the time we hear a voice within and the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Some people call it a still small voice. But we'll hear, we'll hear a voice. It'll be like a phrase, a sentence, a word. So we hear. We also feel. And this is like impressions or a sense, kind of a little bit about discernment uh, as well. So we feel. And then we also see. And this is really important because a lot of people have visions or dreams or pictures. It says in Acts chapter 2, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. And this is part of the experience of the prophetic. We are a prophetic church and we see things that the Lord shows us, visionary type experiences. This is all throughout the Bible. There are 230 some odd references to dreams and visions in the Bible. So it's very important to know that. Um, the prophetic is from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, Revelation is an apocalyptic revelation to John on the Isle of Patmos. I mean, you, you just, all of this is given by revelation. And so you see how prophecy is so important in the church and with something we want to restore and understand more and more. There are a lot of scriptural references about prophecy. I'm just sticking to the New Testament ones. We see in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, it says this. Now at this uh, time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus. He stood up and he began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This is to foretell, to tell about something before it happens. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. So not only did he speak about it, but the person writing the narrative, which we know as Luke, said it actually did happen. And in the proportion that any of disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren in Judea. So Agabus gives this prophecy about what's going to happen, a great famine 
Um, the writer actually says it did happen, but their response was that they took up an offering so that they could send it to the place where the famine was going to happen. I mean, that is really what we want. We want prophecy, not for frills and gimmicks, not for goosebumps, not to feel better, not to tell us what the Bible already tells us. We want prophetic words to equip us and to position us to do the things that God has called us to do. We want those kind of prophetic words. And my heart is that we restore biblical prophecy back to the church. Biblical prophecy is fruitful. Um, it's, it's faithful. It's, it's, it's uh, precise. It's clear. And it causes us to know things that we need to know, to do things that we need to do. We want to see biblical prophecy restored to a greater measure. Now, I'm grateful for every level that God gives to us, but I want to see it continue to grow and go up to higher and higher levels so that as the church of Jesus Christ, we can see the kingdom advance and, uh, and use this gift as a tool and not a toy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 through 3 says this. This is Paul talking later in this same letter that we're studying. He says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that, especially the gift of prophecy. Just kind of say that to yourself, especially the gift of prophecy. Have you ever thought about that? Have I especially pursued the gift of prophecy? Have you ever done that in your life? that I especially pursue the gift of prophecy, to hear God speak to me for someone else that would do these three things. This is what he says, that a person who prophesies speaks to them for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And those are part of the functionality, which I'll discuss. The first function of prophecy, which we get right from that passage, is to strengthen. This means a prophetic word is going to build somebody up. It's going to make them stand tall. I mean, you need to be built up so that you can take on whatever's coming your way. The enemy comes against you. Temptation comes against you. The flesh is not for you. But by the Spirit, as we minister to each other prophetic words to, to foretell the present priorities of God or to even speak to someone from God's mindset and from God's point of view by, by design. Sometimes we prophesy by design. We tell somebody who they are in the Lord because the Lord gives us a prophetic word to strengthen someone so that they can stand tall in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's what Ephesians chapter 6, I believe verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Prophecy has the power to do that, to strengthen us, to break self-sufficiency and to stand on what God sees and says over our life. The second function of prophecy is to encourage or to exhort. This means a prophetic word will stir someone up and challenge them to conquer, challenge them to go for it, challenge them to climb new heights, to reach farther, to go further. This is really what we need. We need the gift of prophecy to stir us up, to go after the things of God that He's calling us toward that bring Him glory. And we thank God for that, the encouragement, the exhortation. The third function is to comfort. This means to cheer people up, to cause them to hope again, to believe again, to rise up again. Think about you sitting next to somebody and they're, they're, they're deep into some kind of um, grief scenario and they can't seem to get out of it. They're stuck and we all need healing in areas as God is restoring us to be the people He knows us to be, he sees us to be, paid for us to be. And you're sitting there and you just get a prophetic word that brings comfort to somebody in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their process. It can, it can cheer them up to cause, cause them to be able to believe again and uh, hope again and rise up again. This is so valuable. The fourth function of prophecy is to confirm. God will confirm uh, through a prophetic word what he's already saying to you. Sometimes that's what we need. We're looking for God to confirm direction or instruction or some kind of assignment. 
And when a person gives a prophetic word, it will confirm that which we believe God is saying to us. And we're, we're just asking God to help us make sure that that's exactly what it is. And so we thank God for confirmation and through body ministry. And the fifth and final function of prophecy that we see from Scripture is it reveals. God will often reveal something through a prophetic word that maybe we've never heard before. Maybe God's calling you to a ministry or to a nation or to a region or to something that you've never considered. Maybe the Holy Spirit, uh, you've never heard Him say this. It could be that you're not hearing Him. It could be that you're in a season where you're not able to locate the voice of God or the specific voice of the Lord. And somebody comes along and speaks about something that maybe isn't on your radar, but all of a sudden it sticks and you realize it opens a door in your mind and your heart to consider something that you have never considered before. Sometimes prophecy will do that. It doesn't just confirm, it also will reveal at times a next step of direction. Now, there's, there are some prophetic never-evers, and we have another class where we'll go over that, where we're not talking about dates and mates and and, uh, and other things where we, we want to make sure that people don't have the freedom and the right to talk about high-level things that would control or manipulate others. Certainly those things probably happen, but it's not something that we teach as a norm. And we want to make sure that we're very um, cautious about prophesying certain things that could potentially manipulate anybody or control them in any way. And so the Lord reveals things really for His purposes, for His people. And when we look at this, the, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom and prophecy, what we see is sort of a, on a grid, a spectrum. We see past word of knowledge, present word of wisdom, and future prophetic word. And I have learned that God will use these gifts together. He'll give a word of knowledge, the past. He'll give a word of wisdom. And then he'll give a prophecy. So he'll give me a word of knowledge about somebody's past. I'll say, this is what you've gone through. This is the pain as a result of that. And then he'll give me a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. And this is what the Lord is doing. This is what he's calling you to implement in this season. And then he'll give me a prophecy. And as you do that, here's what the Lord is going to do. You prophesy the, the, the results of the Lord. It's not a formula, but you see how the past, present, and future flow together when it comes to the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And I believe the more we're trained on these things, we can actually function that way. Like whenever I get a word of knowledge about something or someone, I immediately am thinking about how the Lord wants to bring another gift in or flow another gift in so that I can speak to them about what the prophecy really is. I want to prophesy over them. The word of knowledge gives me the context, but the prophesy, prophecy gives me the content so that I can speak to them what God is saying. What God is showing, word of knowledge, what God is saying, prophecy. These work together, past, present, and future. And this is sort of the, the grid that I see through when I minister to people and God gives me these words. And so we want to practice that. And I want to encourage you to practice these gifts. Ask God for the word of knowledge. Ask God for the word of wisdom. And ask God for the gift of prophecy. And when you go to church, whether it's kind of the norm or not, and you're sitting next to somebody, that's a perfect opportunity to say, Lord, would you give me one of these gifts to give away? And as he does that, you want to speak up and step out a little bit. You just want to start by saying, asking questions. Hey, do you have a sister? Or, hey, do you, uh, are you a teacher? And you, you just ask questions along the lines of what you feel like that the gift, the, the gift begin to speak to you about. That's how you start functioning. It's just asking questions, probing a little bit, and stepping out one step after another. And God will begin to use you and really amaze you at the clarity and the accuracy of what the Holy Spirit brings. So let me encourage you in these three gifts as we continue to discuss the other manifestational gifts to just begin to step out and see what God will do. 
Let's pray together that the Lord will begin to do that more in our lives and in our churches. Father, we thank you today for your grace, for your grace gifts. And we believe, God, that you want to use your whole body. It's not just a special anointed few. It's the whole body. And so, God, we pray as we put out our hands to you, we just say, put gifts in our hands to give away to others. That we would not be spectators, that we would be contributors, but help us to believe, have hopeful expectation that you're going to use us and give us that mindset and that heart that every time we enter into a scenario, whether it's home, whether it's church, whether it's the marketplace, we pray, God, that you would help us to be expectant for your spirit to move in and through us. So, so Lord, we say, give us gifts to give away. Lord, let us have words of knowledge, words of wisdom and prophecy, and let us see the fruit of your gifts ministering to people, bringing hope and life and comfort and encouragement and deliverance and healing. We want to see more of this. Give us a hunger that we would earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So we say, Lord, especially the gift of prophecy, help us to have that hunger and that expectation. We thank you today for your word and for the fruitfulness that will come as a result of looking at your word together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I enjoyed our session together and I look forward to our next session. Amen.